I'm Carrie Bickmore. Welcome to Brains Trust. In this podcast, we will enlist the country's most interesting, funny and often complex people to help us reflect and understand our lives a little better. They aren't experts necessarily, but they all have curious minds, big brains and love a laugh. This Brains Trust of well-known Australians has been gathered together by journalist and producer Chris Walker. Hi, Carrie. Who are we here from, Chris? I've spoken to people that I admire, people that I care about and people that I work with. I'm Chris Brown. I'm a, uh, a veterinarian. My name's Adam Briggs. I'm a Yoda Yoda man. I'm Ryan Chang. I'm a stand-up comedian. Uh, my name's Annabelle Crabb. I'm Willie Dali. Hello, I'm Kitty Flanagan. My name's Hamish Blake. I am a first-year apprentice homeschool teacher. Each episode will move between these awesome guests, like an eavesdrop on the ultimate conversation. So before we bury 2020 deep in our memory, we're going to walk through it all again and see how it changed us and what we learnt along the way. Let's continue Season 1 of Brains Trust. If you've made it this far, you know this podcast is about 2020, but it's also about how 2020 has changed us and how we will move forward. This year, we were forced to keep our distance, work remotely or sometimes not at all, and be apart from our loved ones. We spent more time with our own thoughts, giving us an opportunity to truly notice our emotions. We start with Annabelle Crabb. Do you experience hate? You mean, do I experience waves of hate for other people? Yeah. Yeah, I have I have real flashes of rage this year, I reckon, um, and... I can sort of understand why people are so on edge because I feel that way myself. In fact, 2020, I think most of the time I've felt full of dread, completely powerless, waking up in the middle of the night and worrying about things, um, worried about my kids, you know, like um, they've become much more dependent on like devices and stuff during the lockdown and I don't know how to unpick that. So I don't know. I mean, it may be just sort of your standard middle-aged baggage that turns up and, you know, causes you to, yeah. you know, wake and fright. So much about this year I've really, I thought has been really beneficial for me, particularly for the family, but there's been so many times where I've hated myself more than I ever hated myself. Yeah, well, I guess you've got more time to hate yourself and that's always helpful. But I do think it's um, the rage thing. I mean, my rage tends to be directed to inanimate objects. I'm just like, oh, my God, I've caught my f-ing sleeve in that door handle. <laughs> Why? Why? <laughs> Just like, the rage thing is absolutely related to powerlessness, I think. Why do you feel powerlessness? You mean the circumstances of the year or? I feel powerless because I look around and see sort of all of these mounting threats um, that face our country and our world and what seems to be a disintegrating global apparatus for dealing with those threats. I think, you know, that's the basis for my generalised worry. One of the corollaries of powerlessness is that you lash out, you know, (laughs) not always at a doorknob, but, like, you know, when I see people (laughs) absolutely losing their shit on social media, usually about something like the way that someone else has phrased something or, you know, I just think, well, that's pointless, you know, but pointless rage is actually a pretty understandable response to 
a generalised feeling of powerlessness, an inability to change things. I mean, if you actually take a step back and look at Australia this year, the year that we've had has actually said a lot of good things about our ability to cooperate and our ability to triage threats and our ability to um, recognise what needs to be done and, you know, on the whole, the need to shut up and do it, you know, and argue argue later. Um, We are not, on the whole, having this sort of fetishised, politicised debate about masks. I mean, like masks in Australia have not become this sort of bizarre... political tool. Um, just a prophylactic here. Okay, so, I mean, imagine being in that shitfire, which we're not, so that's good. Hamish Blake also sees the good that's happened around Australia in 2020 and hopes that continues on into the future. Do you reckon 2020 made you a better person? Yes. I would hope every year makes me a better person, realistically. Um, I suppose no one really wants to come out going, damn it, I haven't been a a better person since 2015. But I tell you what, I, tell, I hope yes, and I reckon here's why. This has affected everybody and you're not – it's affected everyone to different levels, but it's touched everyone, right, especially COVID and bushfires. Again, to much different levels, but it's permeated, right? Like we all went through it together. And here's a chance where we're, we're getting tested on something that you can't dodge. It wasn't an opt-in. You just had to do it. Generationally, that doesn't happen too often. And and it was one of those ones where you're like, okay, we've got a choice of how we – how we handle this here. But I didn't, I I certainly didn't see, like, you know, I didn't, I never bought into that. Well, that's 2020. It's a write-off. It's the worst year of all time because so many bad things happen because it's still good things are able to happen in, in bad years. And and they're there if you look for them and and you can find them. And I don't think you need to buy into this whole, like, what is like, you know, nothing counts from this year. And it's, we're just giving this one back because, like I know, it's still a year of your life, and you don't get many. So I don't really want to write one off. I want to, mm. I want to, I want to have found the good things that we could still enjoy within the the situation that we were handed. And I'm most proud of that stuff. I'm most those I, like I'm glad that we're still ending this year with going. Okay, no one asked for this year, and no one would want anyone to go through, especially the serious hardships that people have gone through. But within our family unit, I'm still proud of the fact that we were able to find good times and good things and. As a society, I, I like the fact that we've lived in a state and a country that cares about other people and prioritise them. I'm glad to see in the world still that we are coming out of this going, we did this stuff, especially being in Victoria, we did these things because we care about other people. We care about the community. And I think if you look for it, there's a great sense of spirit to that. And I'm glad we live in a country that's got it. So I'm, I'm coming out of this year, I reckon... I'll, I'll take away the good things. I'll take away the the those um, those tendencies, like when the chips were down and things were suddenly not the way we thought they'd be. That that we were able to attack and still find things to be happy about and, and enjoy. And that's the thing. Like I know it's become trendy to go twenty twenty sucked and oh no one was expecting this year. But no, who's expecting any year? Like that's you know, of course random stuff happens. There's no year like there's not even a footy season that ever pans out like people think it's going to pan out. And that is mm. a pretty limited system. That's only, you know, like a, a certain amount of teams playing each other a certain amount of times. When you think of like 7 billion people doing trillions and trillions of things every day, like no year is ever going to be as we expected it. So in, in that sense, I come out of the year going, well, it was a good reminder that 
you just aren't promised any normal years. Absolutely. Do you think you'll go back to kissing strangers? Yeah, but I'm a sucker for that. Um, (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, yeah, I can't can't get enough of them. No, it is funny when you see handshakes and stuff now. Uh, I think handshakes will come back in, but I reckon saliva transfer will be the last to come. Until 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 we've all got the barcode on our wrist, whatever we're going to get once we get vaccinated, and I think you're going to see a lot of kissing. But until we have a vaccine and Hamish's barcode, Kitty Flanagan thinks we should hesitate a little before going back to quote-unquote normal. I just think the same thing happens over and over again. That's what we've learned looking at this, you know. We just don't learn. I don't think that it's we're not good or bad. I think we're just incapable of learning and moving forward. We don't take advice well. I think we just forget. Like we just mm. can't kind of control our impulses. Maybe that's it. We're not very good at that marshmallow game. I reckon they should do it with adults. You know that thing where they put a marshmallow in front of a toddler? Yeah. And say you can eat it now or wait 10 minutes and I'll give you another one. We can't delay our gratification. Yeah, I don't think so. I think they say, you know, cafes are open. Everyone goes, well, I'm going now. And everyone just goes. Like after the first lockdown when they opened up again, like places were rammed. Yeah. So I just kind of think we don't we don't really learn. But isn't that possibly a positive that we're so social that we want to be with each other? I guess so, but we just can't go, okay, if we wait another week, then we'll be able to be together for longer. It's like, no, I Mm. want to be together now for five minutes. It's like, okay, well, Mm. now we just blew it. Waleed Ali agrees to an extent with Kitty. He doesn't see our behaviour changing too drastically. These things change our worldview on things when they are really long and deep. It's people who've lived through a war or lived through a depression or something like that or if it's a pandemic, you know, that's gone on for five, ten years and really you've had to recalibrate society quite fundamentally, I think that's where those things have a difference. I'm not convinced that we will change our perspective that radically on that sort of stuff. People have certainly grown in lockdown one way or another and taken some personal lessons away from the year. Ronnie Chang has. I think it made me slow down uh, and therefore self-reflect. I think it made me a little bit tougher um, in terms of how I deal with adversity and deal with insanity on the internet. Um, I think it gave me a lot of perspective on the work I do, the kind of work I do, what I like doing. For example, I had to go. I went to do stand-up comedy in New York City um, in uh, September 2020. I got back to New York and I went to do shows, and literally, basically, kind of risking your life a little bit to do these shows, and realizing like, oh yeah, I love doing it. I love doing it to 20 people. I love doing it to 15 people. Um, this is. I still love doing it. It's my favorite form of self-expression. And so it made me kind of really realize that. I think the election happening this year, a lot is happening this year, you know. Um, I think the election in America, I've seen communities and groups mobilize in a way that's very inspiring. And I think with politics anywhere, especially in America, it's very easy to be cynical and not care and wait for other people to do the work and then complain about it. 
And what I've seen over the last year and a half, really, or last two years, but ramping up over the last year is uh, groups of people not willing to just let this moment slide. They, they want to stand up and do something about it and, and fight for what they believe in. And that's been very inspiring. And they're doing it in a way which I didn't see in 2016. Um, and I've been lucky to kind of be involved with some of these groups. Sometimes you think you're the only one who cares as much about a certain issue. And you just haven't been looking hard enough because there's other people who care about the same issue and are willing to do something about it. And all of you kind of join together to make something happen. Even if it's as simple as creating a, a website that explains how to vote in an easy way and then everyone else kind of just promoting it, you know. Even something as simple as that, you know, helps. So I think that has kind of made me a less cynical person, kind of seeing other people selflessly doing a very thankless job to try to make things better for everyone. I feel like listening to that, that you've kind of answered my very one of my very first questions about are people inherently good? Because to me, it feels like you must think that people are inherently good because you otherwise you wouldn't bother doing what you just said you were doing. And, and even you wouldn't even want to make people laugh. I guess you have to go with yes, right? As cynical as I am, because there's so many opportunities in life where someone could come up and kill me and they don't. <laughs> so that must mean that, <laughs> that there's so many chances. <laughs> yeah, there's so many chances when you could get cheated out of something, right? For example, you know, when you like leave your car unattended or you, uh, whatever it is, like you ask the stranger to look after your bag because you're going to the toilet or it's just small stuff like that, right? Like you have to believe that um, it's complicated. The que- it's a very complicated question because, man, in New York City, I feel like there's danger around every corner. But when when if something terrible happens, people kind of band together to stop it. You know. So what does that mean? Like, yeah, there's danger around every corner. That's evil, right? And then, but the fact that people will stand together and 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 help someone out who's in trouble, that also means something. So I don't know. It's a very complicated question. I guess you're right. The nature of my job is that I'm doing stand-up in front of people to try and make them laugh. And mm. the fact that they don't come on stage and punch me in the face, I mean, that must mean that most people are good, right? <laughs> I don't know. You keep saying um, how cynical you are. Mm. Are you so cynical that you would worry about bringing kids into this world? Yeah, a little bit. A little bit, yeah, for sure. Where I'm like, what, 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 what are they coming in for? You know, <laughs> what are they going to see? Right now, this is crazy. This is crazy. This this time right now is a uh, very chaotic. Why are you so cynical? Um, it's easier, right? It's easier to be cynical. The cynic's always right. Yeah, it's easier to be cynical. If you if you're cynical, you're not going to get hurt because you predicted failure, and failure is more likely to happen. But uh, I just spent. It's funny, we just, uh, you know, I just did a phone call about two hours ago where I just was encouraging people to vote because I said, it's easy to be cynical. Don't be cynical, go vote. <laughs> so I guess <laughs> it's, it, it, yeah, so I don't know. I, I'm cynical when it comes to comedy, but when it comes to um, government, I, I'm like more hopeful. <laughs> Adam Briggs is taking a few lessons forward from 2020. I'll probably work less. I worked, I worked a lot this year. I'll probably focus it a little bit more because I'm a bit exhausted at the moment. You got, you've been, I mean, you've been getting fit for a while, but you know, you really smashed it there. Had to. When you say you had to, what do you mean? 
in that lockdown situation, you know, for those eight to ten weeks, it was either it was either you know one way or the other for me. So I had to like go to work and do the home gym thing. Otherwise, a I'd go nuts, and then b I'd just like rather than lose twenty kilos, I'd put thirty on. Mm-hmm. And you just can't live like that, man. You get too unwell, too unmotivated. Can't do your job properly. You know what I mean? It's it's just a bad lifestyle to have. Are you mentally better now that you know that you know that you're fitter? Probably. You know what I mean? Like I've still got the same anxieties and same stresses, mm. but you know, everything's a little bit easier. And like I've got that routine as well. You know, where I'm hitting the gym at least four or five times a a week, and it does keep you motivated. What do you think will change next year? Like, do you think you'll go back to hugging people, shaking hands? I'm not. <laughs> I like the fist bump. You're into it? Yeah, I'm about it. Someone who isn't hanging out for public displays of affection is Ronnie Ching. He doesn't think hugs and kisses are coming back. I don't think we will, and I'm, I'm, I'm good with that. I think we're getting a bit, bit too touchy-feely. <laughs> It's ridiculous. Sometimes people come in for the double kiss. Like in Australia, it's crazy. Stop it. it yeah, I, I, I think uh, we will definitely wash our hands more, which is good. I had a joke about how we're all just as clean as Japan is normally. They live like this all the time. They literally package everything neatly. They dispose it. People wear masks there. You know, yeah. like we're just doing what Japan has been doing for like fifty years now. Sometimes it's gross though. Like, guys, we can't be wearing shoes in the house. Come on. That's just, you're asking for it. You're asking for <laughs> coronavirus. Um, I, I remember a very distinct thing at university was the local students would always just sit on the lawn in the dirt with whatever dog shit might happen to be there, right? Or in the mud. And all the international kids would never sit on the lawn. You would never <laughs> sit directly on. You would squat. You might. You might, if you're, you know, self-conscious about squatting, you might like sit on a bench nearby, or you would stand the entire time, or maybe, maybe sit on your bag. But we want sitting directly, and that was like a clear demarcation of local and international students. So Briggs wants to keep the fist bump, and Ronnie wants you to keep your distance. But Waleed tells us we need human touch. Patrick McGorry, um, who's obviously a psychologist. Um, I don't know how he figured this out, or like how maybe it's just a known fact, but. <clears throat> that human beings need to be touched seven times a day for their mental well-being. That's kind of really? the threshold. Yeah. See, it's fascinating, isn't it? It's a fairly substantial amount of touching. Yeah, I guess the touches don't need to be substantial, right? So it's interesting. I guess handshakes and pats on the back and that sort of stuff just performs this kind of quite deep psychological function within us. And so... I guess you do feel warm when you shake someone's hand. Yeah, that's right. It does something. When you think about that in the context of people who haven't been touched for months and months and months, my sense is, and even from talking to people like that, they don't say, oh, I don't know if I can go back to it. They say, I can't wait until I can. If 2020 has one lasting legacy, Annabelle Crabb thinks it will be in the workplace or not, as the case may be. I think if things go well... 2020 will be the beginning of a new way of thinking about how productivity works, right? Like for I've for years been writing about how, you know, flexible work for both 
women and men is the answer to unpicking, you know, a lot of those gendered assumptions about who does what in the household. Um, and <laughs> our system has been really resolutely resistant to um, unbending requirements on men, I think, to be present at work whilst being, you know, pretty okay about women working flexibly and doing part-time work and so on. Mm. But what 2020 did was to actually forcibly change the way a whole cohort of men worked, not so they could have more time with their families or so that they could, you know, help out their wives more at home or whatever, but because they simply weren't allowed to go into work. And so you had this sort of grand social experiment, I suppose, that was about, okay, can we turn on a dime and do this as an organisation and will productivity kind of suffer? And so far the result is that no, productivity didn't suffer much at all and um, a lot of blokes started realising that, life could work a bit differently and you know I think that's a really positive thing. How did you go working side by side with your lawyer partner in well, the same room? look I'm glad you said <laughs> that Chris because um, one of the things that I noticed happened really quickly was that the little tiny office where I normally work quickly became his office. Now I'm waiting for the long tail research into this but I reckon I am not the only patsy woman working from the kitchen table <laughs> With all the brown doing, you know. The, <laughs> with all the food you've cooked. Yeah. So I don't know. I think there's going to have to be a bloody up, uprising and revolution because he's like, oh, this is awesome. I love working from home. You know, he's working from home five days a week. I'm, you know, carrying my laptop around sort of, you know, alighting on various cluttered surfaces. I mean, right now, talking to you, I'm in my son's bedroom because it's the only part of the house where, you know, it's sort of, quiet. So 2020, I think, has changed our way of thinking about how workplaces function. But one of the other things that I think it's really exposed, and this is really um, problematic, is that there is increasingly two classes of workers in Australia, the kind that can work from home, that can work digitally, you know, and those who really can't. And already, like the, I think the Australia Institute did some really interesting research on the average pay rates of people who can work from home and people who right. can't. And people who can work from home are in, you know, are earning more. So they are the kind of workers of privilege, I suppose, of, of 2020. But what we have found in 2022 that is that um, the people who can't work from home because they're frontline workers or they've got to be there to drive the bus or do the deliveries or, you know, staunch the bleeding in the ER department or apply the ventilators, is look, they are the people that we really literally cannot do without. And so if we had a bit of time and a bit of goodwill, it would certainly be worth looking at rebalancing that situation given everything we've learned this year about the people on whom we really rely when um, shit happens. So we've all endured 2020, but some of us have also flourished in it and we'll head into 2021 with some burgeoning new skills, as if he needs any more. Dr Chris Brown. I took up the guitar this year during... Um, during lockdown. Now, you, you know me, Walks. Like, uh, you, you would probably say I'm not musical. Well, I don't know. I mean, I mean, you could have also turned around and said, hey, I'm actually quite good at the guitar and it wouldn't have surprised me. No, but but I, I wouldn't say I'm overly 
musically gifted or, or, or that way inclined or, or that way creative. But it, for me, I look back on 2020, the, the greatest thing I've done this year is probably learn the guitar. <laughs> Why that, is that? Because I've always wanted to. And yet, and, and this year allowed me to have the time at home as opposed to being on the road, travelling somewhere else, working. I, I'd spent so much time at home at night that it was either watch another series on Netflix or, or um, uh, you know, another ABC show that you EP or, 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 or I could actually do something constructive and, and, and learn a musical instrument. And it, it's emotionally one of the most fulfilling things I've ever done in my life. I actually love it. And I now can't go anywhere without taking my guitar. So that's really interesting. So do you think you you will carry that? And you obviously will carry playing the guitar into twenty twenty one and beyond. But mm. the enzyme or the motivation that made you do that? I think so, and and that is part of what you were getting at. I think we've we've gone back to almost first principles of of entertainment and and of life and, and what what is meaningful. And it, and it is those. It's not those complicated pursuits and, and intellectual processes or, or journeys into the unknown and travel and, and it's sometimes it, there is wonder in your own lounge room. You go anywhere and, and you couldn't get a board game, you couldn't get painting supplies, you couldn't get canvases you could, and you couldn't, in the end, you couldn't buy musical instruments because everyone everyone went back to almost like a tribal existence where unless it would keep people entertained around a campfire. You didn't do it. Mm. I'm deeply offended you haven't asked me to play my guitar. Have you got it there? I do, but I, no, I'm not going to play now because it, now it feels like I'm soliciting um, a, a terrible version of a song you used to like. So I'm not going to play it out of principle. But but just know yeah. that, that your lack of faith in my musical ability was noted and, and I'm, I'm deeply hurt. Well, send me a, um, send me a video later. I have actually made a, a very – how's this for a quirky lockdown um, connection? Lee Sales and I send music to each other and we, we have a, like a virtual band. Th- th- that's something that lockdown gave us. What a bizarre what a bizarre thing that is. So what do you do? Hold on, what happens? Sales, <laughs> you wouldn't know it, is a weapon on piano. So you send each other, you guys playing? So I play guitar, she plays piano. And then we we splice them together and create a song with and overlay her piano with my guitar. And you did this during lockdown. We've done it over the last couple of months. Yeah. Have you got any better? Have I? Yeah. Well, no. Is that you know your little your little group? So it, again, you're patronising. Like the use of little. You could have oh, just said, has, a, "Has your group got it's any?" Little in, it's little in that there's only two of you. No, no, no. It was in the way you said it too. Your little group. So. Right. So she goes from interviewing the PM to just tinkling the ivory and sending it to Brownie. She does, yeah. And I can tell you which one is more satisfying. (laughs) So that's it, 2020, the year we can't forget. Thoroughly dissected by our intelligent, informing and entertaining Brains Trust. Much thanks to Adam Briggs. No worries. Virtual fist bump. Boom. Annabelle Crabb. Oh, it's been a great pleasure, Chris. Dr. Chris Brown. Absolute pleasure, Walks. Thanks, mate. Hamish Blake. Thanks, Walks. I loved it, man. Great chat. Kitty Flanagan. Just edit me into nice, tidy sound bites, please. Ronnie Chang. No problem. Thanks for having me on. Walid Ali. Thank you very much for having me. I've enjoyed it. And to our host, Chris Walker. <laughs> Just pause one sec. Can you please be quiet? I can hear it. I've asked you. Please. 
Great. The show was produced by Sam Kavanagh and Chris Marsh. I'm Carrie Bickmore. Hopefully we'll see you down the road when we next convene another Brains Trust. 